who constitute the church. As we heard from our candidates for baptism this morning, I just am so grateful to the Lord for how he is moving in their lives and in the life of Forest Baptist Church. Amen. And on this joyous occasion, this gracious and joyous Father's Day, I extend that to you. May the Lord extend you joy and peace and strength upon this Father's Day for all of our fathers. And also want to be mindful that may the Lord extend grace and strength, protection and provision to all those who are even suffering from father wounds. Though, they, though you may have an absentee father on earth, there is an eternal father in heaven who is always present, always near. And when we cry out to him, he is there, ready to hear our deepest struggle, heal brokenness and pain of our lives because he is the I am father. I am that I am anything that we need him to be. That is true to his character and name. He will be for us in this hard, harsh world. Amen. So indeed, in celebration of this Father's Day, let us set our gaze this morning upon a special fatherly relationship seen in Scripture. If you will turn with me in your Bibles or on your device uh, to 2 Timothy, the second chapter, beginning with the first verse, and if you don't own a Bible of your own, please let one of the ushers know, let one of us know there are Bibles in the back. We want to make sure that each and every person has a Bible that they can read on their own to, to know and hear from the Heavenly Father. Because primarily, God speaks to us through His Word. Whenever we want to hear God speaking, we, we don't have to wait for the phone call. We don't have to wait for, for, for the thunder to, to, to crack to hear the voice of God. We don't have to be stopped in our tracks to hear the voice of God. Anytime we want to hear the voice of God, all we have to do is open the Scriptures. And he is speaking to us. But not only that, God primarily speaks to us through his word, but we primarily speak to God through prayer. This is a praying church because we are desperate and dependent upon the Lord. Second Timothy, the second chapter. And we see here this, this is a relationship shared between Paul and Timothy. This is a, a relationship of a father and son. Though not a biological relationship, this is a spiritual relationship. Through Paul's word and witness, through the gospel and the Holy Spirit working in Timothy's life, he gives birth to this son, Timothy, who is now operating in ministry. He's reaching out to a son in this text this morning. So see this morning a picture of a loving father shepherding his child through the challenges that he will sure face in life. 2 Timothy, the second chapter, beginning with the first verse. This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men 
who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we would also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. May the Lord a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. I'd like to place the tag upon this morning's text for our Consideration, a reflection of faithfulness. A reflection of faithfulness. Let us go before our great and mighty God in prayer this morning. Oh, gracious and eternal Father, we just surrender to you. For there is no one like King Jesus. For Father, no one came down and lived the life that we could not live. No one else came down and died the shameful death that we deserve. And no one else was raised from the grave on the third day with all power and might and is now sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf right now. There's no one like you, Jesus. And we thank you for your amazing grace, for your amazing mercy. And I ask that you would help us this morning and have mercy upon us this morning. As Father, we have entered into these gates with much upon our mind, much upon our hearts. Father, we have not loved you like we should this week. We have not cared about you like we should this week. Father, we may be steeped in sin right now, but Father, help us to confess our sins. For you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all iniquity. Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would free us up for worship right now. Whatever situations of life we may be facing right now, you are bigger. Father, for the issue on our job, you are bigger. For our financial issue, you are bigger. For our sin issues, you are greater. Lord, we look to you right now. And we ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit. Father, please use my foolish and broken and weak words to speak prophetically to your people that Jesus Christ would be lifted up. And as you are lifted up, you would draw men, women, boys and girls into thy side. Father, for the one who is struggling in their sin, I ask that you would open blind ears, eyes, open deaf ears and prepare hard hearts to receive your word this morning. Help us, God. We don't even realize that our normal is actually abnormal according to your desire. Help us to see our sin for what it is. But may we be strengthened by you. Lord, we love you and we do thank you. In the precious and most holy name of Jesus the Christ, we do pray. 
Amen? Amen. You know, have you ever uttered the words, it wasn't what I expected? It doesn't matter if it's a, a restaurant that someone's been hyping up to you that it's the bee's knees and you really need to go and you need to have this dish. But when you get there, the atmosphere and the ambiance ain't what you expected. The service ain't what you expected. The meal ain't what you expected. And the bill show ain't what you expected. And you look down and you say, this ain't what, what it was I was expecting. Or maybe it's a new job. They were wooing you and smoozing you to, to come and, and have this new job. And, and you thought you was going to have all the freedom and all the, the time. And, and, and you had all the gadgets with this new job. But then you show up and it's like they pull a rug out from under you. All of a sudden that job description done changed. And you got another job description. And you say to yourself, it, this ain't what I expected. Maybe it's a, a relationship and, and, and at first she was the most beautiful thing in the world. And he was so sweet, opening every door, making sure you had just enough time to get there. And all of a sudden things change and it's like, oh, uh, this show ain't what I expected. Or maybe you, you have a conversation with someone. They some, say something after Saturday next. They say something crazy. And, and you leave that conversation scratching your head. That wasn't what I expected. You know, many times in life, our expectations don't match our outcomes. Now, sometimes that's a good thing. There, there's times where we don't expect things to be as good as they are. But, but we show up and see that this has been a wonderful time. This has been a wonderful meal. This is a wonderful job. I really wasn't expecting that. But a lot of times in life, we face situations where things are harder than what we expected. Tougher than what we expected. More painful than what we expected. And we're, we're, we're lost with this sense of despair. That, that, that outcome was not what I expected. And beloved, you know, if, if we want to keep it real... And if we are going to be honest, many of us can say the same thing about following Christ. Of course, there's an obvious way above expectations that Jesus meets. He says he will bless us above and beyond and more than we can ever ask or think of him. As we go deeper into grace and begin to understand the depths of grace and just what Jesus has rescued us from and how how uh, uh, miserable a wretch we really was. But yet Jesus in his grace shined his countenance upon you despite your actions and loved you into a relationship with him. That's that's more than we could ever expect. That his acceptance of us is not based upon our performance, but it's based upon the, the sinless sacrifice of Jesus the Christ. That's more than we could ever expect. The fact that when we're adopted into the family of Christ, we have new brothers and new sisters who love us like their very own and, and are willing to care for us. That's more than we can ever expect. But if truth be told, the, the other side of it is we did not expect that Satan will be this rough. We did not expect 
that the road would be so tough. We we did not expect that we would be on this emotional roller coaster all of a sudden when we surrender our life to Jesus Christ. And there are times in our Christian walk where we where we don't expect and we didn't expect the hardships and the trials to hit us like they do. But they do. This is the reality of the Christian life. There's the ups and the downs. There's the good and the bad. But we have been sold a bill of goods sometimes. We're, we're sold that if you come to Jesus, if, if you accept Jesus into your heart, that, that everything would change. That life would be good, that you would have peace, and you was going crazy before Christ, but after Christ you're going to have your whole mind. You wasn't uh, you, you had sickness and weakness in your body before Christ, but after Christ, you know, he just kind of fixed it all. And we have this bubblegum, this, 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 this false sense of religion sold to us, and we begin to accept that because I'm in Christ, there ain't nothing ever gonna go wrong no more. But if it does, all they gotta do is pray and it's gonna be alright. We uh, we fail to realize there's gonna be those valleys of the shadow of death. See, the psalmist pins what he pins for a reason. There are valleys and there are shadows. There are difficulties and trials within the Christian life. We've been taught a faith full of quick fixes and Christian platitudes. We've been taught that we can fix anything. Oh, you just, just pray about it. Or we've been told, oh, just trust God. It's true on his face but yet there is never a quick answer or maybe it's a Christian platitude and we hear things like oh I'm too blessed to be stressed trying to act like if I can feel better in the situation the situation may change or maybe we've heard people say that God helps those who help themselves see that's not even in the Bible We are always facing issues and drama and the brokenness of life. And if we're not careful, when things aren't quite what we expected, we can begin to fall into a pit of despair. We can begin to feel a sense of discontentment with Christ, a sense of disappointment with Jesus. And we, well, once we feel that sense of discontentment and uh, disappointment, we begin to grumble and we begin to complain about this Christian life. And then once we begin to complain about this Christian life, there's this lack of commitment that begins to come. I'm not as faithful in my attendance like I used to be. I'm not as faithful in my prayer life. I'm not as faithful in my, my reading and intake of God's word. I'm not as faithful in, in reaching out to others. This lack of commitment begins to come over us because we feel like Jesus has let us down some way. This lack of commitment can easily lead to a lack of perseverance. And we see in scripture when there's a lack of perseverance, there's a lack of faith. The Christian life can be an emotional and spiritual roller coaster. See, but when people leave the faith and say things like, I tried Jesus, but he didn't work for me then you know that they've been sold a bill of goods. That Jesus is just a savior, a genie in a bottle here to fix your every need and serve your every demand. 
Or maybe we're here today and we're still trusting Christ, but we're barely hanging on. Depressed and discouraged and distraught because we have the wrong expectations of what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be faithful. See, see, many times we do not walk in the victory that Jesus has secured through his blood simply because we have accounted the cost of following Jesus Christ. We just want heaven without the journey. We want to be instantaneously beamed to glory, but, 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 but Jesus has a plan for your life and along life's journey, he wants to strip you of all impurities, of all sin in order that you may be conformed to the image of Christ. So when we see him face to face, we have a, a semblance and know what we've been looking at all along because he's been exposing himself through our own lives. This message of faithfulness is the message that Paul is giving to his son, Timothy, young Timothy. See, Paul, he, he, in the text here, he's come to the end of his life. He is chained in a dark, gloomy dungeon. He is all alone. He is sentenced to die under Emperor Nero. And he, as he comes to the end of his life, he, he is reflecting upon what the Lord has allowed him to accomplish and, and what do I still need to do now. And, and in these last moments, he is reminded of his son, Timothy. And he says and, and writes to Timothy this letter, an encouragement to endure, endure gospel ministry, endure in the Christian life. Many will want you to believe that the Christian life is this beautiful, pretty thing that everyone on the outside is looking in and thinks is, is, is all that. But Paul wants to remind Timothy, don't have false expectations because you're going to have to, you're going to have to grind for Christ. You will have to get dirty for Jesus. And what he will do with your grinding and your sweat and your tears is he will birth salvation in someone else from your efforts. That is the Christian life. So this spiritual father, Paul, he, he knows a little something about suffering. Just a little bit. And because Paul, he is no stranger to adversity. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. Second Corinthians, the 11th chapter, beginning with the 24th verse. This is, this is just a peak. At Paul's life. He says five times. I received at the hands of the Jews. The 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day. I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys. And in dangers from rivers. Dangers from robbers. Dangers from my own people. Anybody say that? My own folk I need to look out for. I can't, say, I can't even set my wallet down on the kitchen table. I got to put it up somewhere up under the, my mattress. Dangers from Gentiles. Danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea. Danger from false brothers. 
See, if we, if we even just took those senses of danger uh, and, and compared it to our Christian life these days, we hate danger. We don't think about running into danger. We run away from danger. But Paul is helping us to see that the Christian life is one filled with danger. Because if you're truly trusting Jesus Christ, you got Satan on your neck. Verse 27, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. His love for the churches keep him woke at night. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of, of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus he who is blessed forever knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor, King Ertus, was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped hands. Paul knows a little something about hardship, about adversity. And as he is coming to the end of his life, the spiritual father wants to show his son how to remain faithful in his Christian life, in this Christian ministry. Paul has reflected on his past. And now he has come out as a reflection of faithfulness because early on, he learned how to count the costs of what it means to follow Jesus. So these final words from father to son is a reminder of a few different things here in this text. We want to look at five different things in this text. And the first thing that we want to look to found in verse one is that Christian living requires faithfulness. That's our big idea. This Christian life requires faithfulness. We can't think that it's not going to take any effort in order to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we can't think it's not going to be a hard row. Christian living requires faithfulness. And Paul gives us the ingredients for faithfulness in this text. In verse 1, he shows us that Christian faithfulness requires grace. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You know, when I was growing up, that dreaded gym class. Now, I, playing sports and dodgeball, basketball, kickball, that was a lot of fun. But then you have those presidential fitness tests. And in the middle of the gym was this long rope. That they were let down. And I remember every single time that rope would be let down. I was like, I can't climb that. Can't nobody climb that. Why do they want us to climb this? But it was my turn. And every single time I would face this challenge, I would just fall. I, I didn't have enough upper body strength to, to climb that rope. And, it, it, and it's always that little skinny kid who's able just to shimmy right up to the top. Like, for real? We are not strong enough. To face the challenges of life. We can't face the challenges that we 
encounter, we encounter each and every day because we really don't have enough strength. We don't have enough strength to deal with the issues like we should. We don't have enough strength to say what we should say. We don't have enough strength uh, not to do what we're not, what we're not supposed to do. But, well, but what God does is he will strengthen us in order that we can obey. But that strength is only by his grace. It is not us white knuckling it saying I'm going to work harder and I'm going to do better. But it is the grace of Christ Jesus that comes and fills our life and enables us to do the, thing, the very thing which we were not able to do before. This word strength, it really means to cause someone to have the ability to do or to experience something. So when he says, be strengthened by the grace, he's saying, you don't have the strength right now, but grace is going to be applied to your life in such a way that you will be emboldened, that you will be able to accomplish the very thing that God wants you to accomplish. Grace. What is grace? We know grace to be God's riches at Christ's expense unmerited favor. So when we talk about grace, we have this concept of grace and we love to talk about grace because when we fall into sin, we 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 look to the grace of Christ to be applied to our sin. We we love to talk about grace, but beloved, what is the actual purpose of grace? Grace ain't there just to be there. Grace actually accomplishes something and does something. God sends out his grace that sinners may be saved and drawn near to him. Grace is so you can enter into a relationship with God. Grace dispels all sin, all doubt, all error, and allows you to come near to a holy and righteous God. Grace brings you near to God. That's the purpose of grace. So when he says be strengthened by grace, what he is saying is be strengthened by your ever-growing understanding and knowledge of who God is. Be ever strengthened by knowing that God is for you and if he be for you, then no one can be against you. Be strengthened by the fact that the creator and sustainer of the universe, when he declares anything, it is what he says and no one can go against it. And uh, grace lets us know that I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Grace allows us to grow in communion with God. It's like the tree in the middle of a storm. Any tree in the middle of a hurricane, if it does not have deep roots, will be blown over. When the storms rage in your life, do you find yourself folding? Do you find yourself flying? And, and, and do you find yourself destroyed? Are you growing closer to God by grace? And this is not just any grace. He says grace in Christ Jesus. Not, this, this is not any grace. This is grace full of favor. And, and Paul's words right here are actually uh, reminiscent of Jesus' words in John 15. What does Jesus say in John 15? John 15, the fourth chapter, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. 
Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Be strengthened by the grace in Christ Jesus. What he's saying is those who stay connected to Jesus Christ will be able to do all things. But once you uh, disconnect yourself from Jesus Christ, you will not be able to do anything. You won't have strength to live this Christian life once you disconnect yourself from Jesus so in order to make sure we are connected to Jesus, we as, as the, the body of Christ need to place ourselves in an area where grace would flow freely upon ourselves. What does God gives us? He doesn't just say grace. He doesn't just say grace is there for you, but he actually gives us means for grace. Means means it's just like if grace was a, a, a part of a shower head sprinkling down. You can't get wet until you go up under the shower. You can talk about taking a shower. You can you smell like you need a shower. You can point others to the shower. But you can't experience that warm, sudsy water until you get up under the shower. And until you get up under the word of God, you can't experience grace. Until you spend time with God in prayer, you can't experience grace. Until you begin to experience the beauty of community and fellowship with the people of God, you cannot experience grace. Those are the means of grace. He uses scripture. He uses prayer. He uses the saints. He uses uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper. He uses all of these things to dispense grace because we are weak. But he is strong. Faithfulness, as we see here, can only be experienced by the faithful. Faithfulness can only ex be experienced by people who have experienced the grace of Christ Jesus. Only those who have turned from their sin, repented of their sin, and turned towards Jesus Christ can be strengthened by grace. But not only is grace one of the ingredients for faithfulness. Secondly, Christian faithfulness requires instruction. It requires instruction. Verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What Paul? What is Paul saying to Timothy? Paul is saying, Timothy, pass on this truth. Pass on the truth of the gospel to other folks just as I have passed it on to you. If you know anything about Paul's life, you, you we already know, as we see in Galatians, that Paul received the gospel of grace directly from Jesus Christ. God passes along this gospel of grace to Paul. Paul begins to dispense this out to the churches that he plants. He meets up with a young Timothy and he dispenses that same message of grace. So God gives to Paul, Paul gives to Timothy. Now Timothy is assigned to give this message of grace to others. See, what we see is an example of what is true of you will become true of others. Or let me say it another way. What is re reproduced in you, you will reproduce in others. If you don't have a truth, you're going to reproduce an untruth. 
If you are living a lie, guess what you're going to reproduce? A lie. You can act like you got it all together on Sunday mornings. You can fake it like you uh, and make it. You can dress it up. But what you're going to reproduce is a, is a hypocrisy and a false religion and those you come in contact with. It is only when you have the truth of the gospel reproduced in you. Can you reproduce that in others? But that is part of being faithful. Now, I jokingly say often, what would this church look like if everyone acted like you? Would anything get done around here? 2 Timothy 1, 5 through 7 shows us Timothy's journey of faith. It says, I am reminded of your sincere faith. This is a genuine faith and unadulterated faith based upon Jesus and not religion. These are not mere traditions handed down from one generation to another. This is the gospel, the good news about what God has done through Jesus Christ to rescue sinners. A sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. Timothy has received this faith. So now that he has received this faith, it is his responsibility to teach this faith. That is Christian faithfulness. You, you, you can't sit here and be taught Sunday after Sunday and not teach anybody about the, the truth of Jesus Christ. If you sit here Sunday after Sunday and are not impacted in a way that you must run go tell somebody about the goodness of Jesus Christ, then maybe your commitment to Christ is faulty. This truth comes to us. And part of Christian faithfulness requires that we instruct others. You have to know what faithfulness looks like in order to teach faithfulness to others. If we want young men to be faithful, then guess what we have to be as men in the church? Faithful. If we want people to be sacrificial and giving to us, then I'll have to be sacrificial in giving to others. I can't expect something from someone else and that I'm not willing to do myself. Faithfulness says I'm willing to put my life on the line. Put some skin in the game. Thirdly, Christian faithfulness requires grace. Christian faithfulness requires instruction. But thirdly, Christian faithfulness requires sacrifice. Paul begins to use the metaphors of three different characters that would be well known in ancient Near Eastern times. And in verse 3 he says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Paul has become very familiar with Roman soldiers. He has been in and out of prison. He has come in contact with them day in and day out. Paul is the one preaching to an entire uh, 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 generation of soldiers at his time. Those who have come to faith because they were actually securing Paul, yet Paul shares the gospel with them. He's very familiar. He knows that they're well trained. He knows that soldiers are ready for war. 
He knows that a soldier is willing to sacrifice by giving up their lives in battle. There's a word that would, we could use to describe being a soldier. It is sacrifice. Paul knows that when a soldier enlists, he is ready, he or she is ready to lay down their lives in battle for their comrades and for their country. But beloved, there's another thing that, that, that a soldier is willing to sacrifice and give up. Because right here, he says that a soldier does not get entangled in civilian affairs. There's a certain life that we have become accustomed to on the outside of the military. There are certain things we, we want to do for ourselves and there are certain things that we expect people to do. But when you go into the military, you have to give up some stuff. You, you have to be so satisfied with what they give. You don't get to go out and go grocery shopping in the army. You, you don't get to uh, specify how much food is going to be on your tray. You don't get to dictate what time you get up to go to, to, to war. You don't get to have a say-so. What, what Paul is saying is that a soldier is willing to sacrifice not only my life, but my preferences, my desires, my hopes, and my dreams, all for the one who has enlisted them. That's the Christian life. Our issue, the, the, the rub is, we try to see how much that I can do myself along with God. We try to figure out how, how close to sin can I get without actually going over the line. When a soldier says, I'm not worried about that, I want to obey the rules. I want to obey my master. So you, we would never sacrifice if we continue to think about ourselves, you will never sacrifice giving up to gain if we continue to be caught up in the world. See, if we're so caught up in the world, we'll never give it up. But a soldier is not caught up in civilian pursuits. See, civilian pursuit says, well, I wonder what they think about me. Civilian pursuit says, why are they talking about me? Civilian pursuit says I should have got my way. Civilian pursuits are is, is easily distracted. But faithfulness requires sacrifice. God has called us to a life of sacrifice as a soldier. But not only does he use the example of a soldier, he goes on to use the example of an athlete. In verse 5, Paul's point here is that Christian faithfulness requires discipline. Discipline. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The rules. Just like in our times, athletic games were big in Paul's day. Right now, the world is celebrating the World Cup. It's, a super, it's really a super big deal to everybody else in the world and to some Americans. But it's a really, really big deal. And people really care about this. And they're, they're cheering on athletes and they're cheering on teams. But when we think about an athlete, what do you think about? Do you think an athlete is slow and eats Doritos all day and drink pop? No. When we think about an athlete, we think about one who is rigorous in their training, rigorous in their diet and in exercise. They, they have a competitiveness that causes them to get up early in order to gain the edge on a competitor. A athlete is one who is focused. If we were to have a word to, to, to think about here, it's discipline. An athlete is discipline. 
But the text shows us that no matter how fit you are, no matter how strong you are, no matter how prepared you are, it doesn't mean anything if you don't play by the rules. You can train all you want, but if you are not playing about the rules, you will be disqualified. Thinking about that, that reminds me about one of the greatest cyclists in history, Lance Armstrong. Year after year, he won the most grueling race to Tour de France. And it, it wouldn't even be close. He would blow out people year after year after year. And people were, were championing him as the greatest cyclist ever. He trained year after year. He won race after race. All that preparation, all that determination, all of that money and effort sacrificed because word came out. He was using performance-enhancing drugs. Every single race that he won disqualified. His name disqualified. He is forever in the records as one of the greatest cheaters to ever be an athlete. He was interested in taking shortcuts in order to achieve the outcome that he really wanted. But beloved, in the Christian life, there are no shortcuts. We can't take detours. There, there are no shortcuts when it comes to godliness. We can dress sin up. We can cover sin up. But beloved, believe me, sin will come out eventually. It's going to come out because it's who you are. We can't cover it up. There's no shortcuts to godliness. Sunday morning cannot be the only time that you read scripture. I've even heard many reports of pastors downloading sermons from the internet so they could preach it to their congregation on Sunday. There's no shortcuts. In the Christian life, there is no such thing as a cheat day. You know what a cheat day is. You've been doing good Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And Saturday, you decide to splurge on some pizza, have some blizzard, have some pop. You, you, you have this cheat day where you indulge in the very thing you was keeping from. But the Christian life is not one that you have a cheat day. It's ongoing, continuous discipline in order that Jesus may be glorified in your life. We keep pressing. Christian faithfulness requires discipline. But then also Christian faithfulness requires diligence. Look here in verse 6 and 7. In verse 6. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. What is Paul saying? He's saying that the hardworking farmer is giving out constant effort. Of all of these metaphors, this, this is my personal favorite one. Because when you think about a farmer, the farmer, he or she gets up at the crack of dawn. And the work starts at crack of dawn and it ends when the sun goes down. The farmer is the one who is sowing seeds into the ground, not knowing when that, when that fruit may yield. The farmer is, is continuously raking and, and tilling and, and plowing. The farmer is the one always t 
taking out the weeds and that which may uh, keep that, that fruit from coming up. The, the farmer is constantly working, constantly focused. To be a farmer, it is labor intensive. You have to be committed because once you sow your seed, you have to wait to see if it grows. The, the, the farmer has to be uh, acting, knowing, uh, acting by faith, believing that God will bring the rain. You have to sow the seed and God will bring the rain. The farmer is dependent. Sows by faith. Reaps patiently. I, that's why I don't farm now. I can't grow nothing. It take too long to grow. I just want one tomato. Take too long. Impatient. Impatient. We want everything now. God says in order for you to be faithful in your Christian life, you have to be diligent. Continuous. You don't give up and you don't stop. Why? Because there's a reward for those who don't stop. And he says the reward is the farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. In gospel ministry, the first share of the crops is when you've been working with folks. You've been meeting with folks week after week after week. You've been sharing the gospel over and over again. You've been helping them to understand their sin, to, to see what it is. And then all of a sudden, the, the Holy Spirit gets a hold of their heart and they begin to change. It's like a light bulb cuts on and all of a sudden, you get to witness the miracle of salvation. You get to witness the miracle of repentance because this person comes to faith. They're no longer like they used to be. But beloved, understand the farmer. He's active. You can't observe Christian faithfulness. You must participate in Christian faithfulness. See, farming is not a spectator sport. And you can't try to be pretty when you're gardening. As a matter of fact, you already know you're going to get dirty. You already know you're going to sweat. And you already know that you're probably going to cut yourself with some of the utensils. See, sometimes we don't want to press into one another because folks is dirty. And folks will uh, uh, mess you up and, and folks will cut you sometimes. But Christian faithfulness says, I'm going to be diligent in spite of what may get on my shirt. That's Christian faithfulness. We can't be spectators. But lastly, Verses 8 through 13, we see in the text that Christian faithfulness requires reflection. Reflection. Verse 8, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. 
Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, if you think I've been faithful, you must remember who I've been looking toward this whole time. Timothy, I haven't been able to do this on my own. I've come to the end of my life. I've run this race. But it wasn't because of my own strength. It was because of the God-man, Jesus Christ. And he points to the incarnate Jesus. He says that he is risen from the dead, point, dead, pointing to his deity. Jesus is who he says he is. But then he also points to his humanity, the offspring of David. Because Jesus accomplished what he accomplished. Being the only one to accomplish that, it's because of what he has done. I know I have life. I know I have hope. And then Paul goes on to say, and this is my gospel. He makes it personal. It's not y'all gospel. This is my gospel. I, I've experienced this myself. I have experienced the help and the hope that comes only from Christ. I've experienced the joys. I've experienced the suffering. But Jesus has always been with me because he is faithful. So what do we understand from here? We understand that we need to look to Jesus because he is the perfect reflection of faithfulness. Remember Jesus Christ. We remember Jesus Christ because though we may fail at being a teacher, Jesus is the perfect teacher. He's the one who is able to clearly communicate and articulate what we need to know for eternal life. Not only is he the perfect teacher, Jesus is the perfect soldier. Jesus came to fight this war against Satan, and he has already conquered. On, on the cross, he declared, it is finished. Jesus did everything he needed to do as a soldier. He came ready for war. He was focused, and he sacrificed his life. Jesus, not only was he the perfect teacher or the perfect soldier, he's the perfect athlete. Well, how is Jesus the perfect athlete? Because he competed exactly according to the rules that he needed to compete to. The text tells us that Jesus was sinless in thought and in deed. Jesus did every single thing that was expected of him so he could run the race and finish well. Jesus, the perfect athlete. But not only was he the perfect athlete, Jesus is the perfect farmer. Because Jesus came and he's been sowing seeds of salvation in you and in me. And he is the one who is able to watch over his crop. And not only, but Jesus don't just sow his crop by the power of his Holy Spirit. He waters his crop. And though I may sow and you may sow, the text says, but only God gives the increase. We look to Jesus because he doesn't fail in anything. And that's why we see in verse 13, this is thought to be some type of hymn or some type of poem in the church. And it's used to remind them who they belong to. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. That's hope. You're not in this by yourself. Even if they take you out, because Jesus got up, you're going to get up. Then he says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we're able to, to to bear up under the weight of the world by being faithful to Christ. We're, we're going to reign with him. But then he says, but if we deny him, if we deny him by not trusting him, we deny him by not living for him, if we deny him by not repenting of our sin, he will also deny us. But then he says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful 
Beloved, we look to Jesus because of our imperfect faithfulness. Do you hear that promise? When you are faithless, he is faithful. This faithless meaning not believe, to doubt, to not acknowledge Jesus. So what he's saying is when we don't believe Jesus enough, when we don't believe prayer changes things, when we don't believe that our lives are valuable, when we don't believe that anyone or the situation can change, when we don't, the text says he does. When we don't, run to the one who always will. The one who can't be anything but faithful because he is God. Think about the trials in your life. Think about the situations and circumstances you're going through right now. Look to Jesus and allow Jesus to anchor your soul in the Lord. In that song we used to sing, anchor your soul in the Lord, billows may roll, breakers may dash, I shall not sway because he holds me fast. And then the, the choir leader do like this. Say it again. Breakers may roll. Breakers may dash. I shall not sway because he holds me fast. Billows may roll. The issues alike may come. And they will come. Breakers may dash. And they may crack your house and, and, and push you back. He says, but I shall not sway. I will continue to be faithful. I will continue to be disciplined. I will continue to be sacrificial. Because he holds me fast. My soul has been anchored in the Lord. Jesus has already demonstrated his faithfulness towards sinners. We see how Jesus came. He has lived the perfect life that we could not live. He has died the shameful death that we deserve. And he rose again. A testament to his, his word. He is who he is. And he's able to save. Today, if you are here and you have not trusted in Jesus for salvation, you, you would never be faithful. But praise God that the text reminds us that when we are faithless, he is faithful. And he gives you an opportunity to turn from your sin. And to turn toward Jesus Christ today. Beloved on this Father's Day. May we pass along. From father to another. From spiritual father to a spiritual son or daughter. That Christian faithfulness requires grace. Instruction. Sacrifice. Discipline. Diligence. And reflection. We need right expectations. When it comes to living the Christian life. Let us pray. Lord thank you for your faithfulness. And for your word. And ask that you have mercy upon us. That we will look to Jesus. For we are faithless. But Lord you have been faithful. So it's when we, when we trust in you. For the forgiveness of our sins. When we repent and believe that you are. Who you say you are. The King Jesus. The God man. The one who is the way, the truth, and the life. When we believe that and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart 
that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. So, Father, may that be someone's prayer today. Help us to see our need for you because our sin is so great. Help us to be reminded of your faithfulness in the midst of this lost, dark, and dying world. Father, we ask that you will have mercy upon us today. Please speak. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Beloved, the doors of the church are now open. For everyone.